please consider supporting Unfound at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I examine multiple Hollywood murders. I talk about breaking news for the Dan Markell murder. I sum up Steve Pankey letter number three. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including I found that Halloween picture. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for November 13th, 2023. Hello, everyone. This is Unfound Live for November 13th, 2023. Hope everybody's doing well out there. I know they, I say that every week, and I mean it every week. I have a fantastic lineup of topics for you tonight. Uh, as always, we will, uh, it will all culminate. There's a word. At the end, when I tell you about this Friday's upcoming episode, uh, we'll be getting back to regularly, regularly, how do you say that word? Regularly scheduled programming on Friday Will uh, where I'll be coming uh, covering a disappearance. Of course, this past Friday, we had the resolved episode, and I will be talking about, I will be giving you uh, some final thoughts on that. Uh, in a little bit, but yes, we'll be getting back to the regular programming on Friday. And, uh, of course, to just start all of this off, as you are watching tonight, listening slash watching, please give this live show a thumbs up. If you are not yet a subscriber to this YouTube channel, just subscribe. Just do it right now. You know you want to. Hit the little bell button too so you will be alerted anytime uh, anything is posted here on the Unfound YouTube channel. Hello, Jill. I'm here and I'm gone. Okay, Jill. I got you. Good to see you, Jill. You are just, uh, you know, we always uh, think about you when we have the think tank on Sunday evenings. Always looking for your uh, great questions. Um, but I have a great show, and uh, please give this uh, live show a thumbs up. As you can see, the overlay for tonight's live show is if you enjoy Unfound's content, why don't you think about signing up at patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast, the $2 level, $5 level, $12 level, or even $20 a month level. You want to go check that out? Just follow that link. If you'd like to support the content here in a different way, if you are watching on YouTube, you can hit the join button below and find out what you get there that other people do not get. And then if there's another way you can support what we do here, paypal.me forward slash unfound 
podcast. Let's see who's in there here, and uh, then I will move on. Once again, everybody, got to give the thumbs up tonight. Ah, uh, Charles, what's going on? Good to see you. Everything. Uh, Assistant Carrie, what's going on? Uh, your cohort, Jill, was in here for a moment, and she took off. Uh, I think she's very busy these days. Uh, everything is giving the war the the wash hands, okay? Karen, Lisa, hello, everybody. Yes, I'm going to get you to your questions about a uh, question about ads in the podcast tonight, Lisa. Very good. Melody, Suzanne, Jasmine, Twinkle, Twinkle's internet is working tonight. That's nice. Jill is here and gone. Kathy, what's going on? Cherie, I guess you've gotten back uh, from the beach today. Thank you for showing up to moderate in case we have any craziness tonight. If anybody from Conspiracyville or Kookland shows up, that's why Cherie's here. Macy, good to see you. Uh, maybe uh, maybe new or maybe just first time commenting, writing something in the chat. Uh, or maybe I just forgot, Macy. But either way, good to see you. Where I need to start out, uh, what, what are we going? Maybe I need to give you just a lineup of things. Uh, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the previous re- uh, resolved episode from this past Friday. I want to talk to you about a Spanish episode. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a big update, although I can only say so much. Uh, as I told you last week, I got another Steve Pankey letter. I will be talking about it in, in detail, although I will not be reading it uh, word for word tonight, but I will be giving you some details. I want to alert all of you to the next found episode. I want to talk to you about an upcoming speak engage, speaking engagement. As far as news goes, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this uh, Netflix show, Taking Care of Maya, uh, kind of um, relevant to me being that this happened at a hospital here in the Tampa area where I live. I want to talk to you about a prostitution story from the East Coast, a little more on the Adelson trial. And I also, if I have time, maybe we'll get into this uh, these murders that happened in Hollywood. But I have to fulfill a promise that I made last week or, or maybe a couple weeks ago. If you'll remember, anybody who was here, uh, the October 30th live show, I had asked everybody what their favorite um, – um, what your favorite uh, costume that you've actually worn uh, over the years for Halloween. Of course, this was the day before Halloween. And a lot, some of you did answer, and I even answered myself. And if some of you might remember that I told you I have to go back to 1996. I was dating a woman. Her name was Janie. And we went as a dominatrix and her sex slave. And at that time, I told you that um, there I, I knew there was a picture out there somewhere of she and I in this getup, of her and I. And... Um, 
Little did I know that I would find it, and I want you to know I found it totally, totally, totally by accident. It wasn't even on my mind. Even though I had talked about it that last that night, I was like, I don't even know where that picture is even, even exists. You have to remember that I've moved across the United States a couple times since 1996, and I don't know what gets lost, what gets left behind, what gets thrown in the trash. Well, wouldn't you know that I found that picture by accident. And what was going on is I have a bookshelf kind of over here on the other side of those video games that you can't see. They're all blurred out now. I have a bookshelf there with, they're all books that I've read. I'm not showing off. And I have a bunch of books that, are still in this closet over here. And I was like, maybe I need to switch it up a little bit. And I started going through these books. There must have been, I don't know, last Thursday or something. I don't know. And I pulled these books out and I was going through them. And that picture was in one of those books. I don't know why. I I have no idea. I have no, no idea why. And I came across it. I must have laughed for 10 minutes when I saw it because I knew that I just spoke, talked about it like 10 days before on a live show. I'm thinking I'm never going to, I haven't seen this picture in 20 years. There it is. And so I guess it was meant to be that uh, I have to follow through. You know, I don't promise things and then not deliver and, So I'm going to show you this picture from 27 years ago. It's not X-rated or anything. It's PG-rated. But I'm going to show you this picture of me and my girlfriend at the time. And what I even did is I even asked uh, two of my longtime friends uh, where they think this party was. And my buddy Doug claims that this picture was actually taken in his place. This is not something that I remember, but he remembers that night from 27 years ago. So here we go. Uh, uh, Hello, Michael uh, and Lisa. What's going on, Lisa? Good to see you, Lisa. When are we getting together for lunch again? Are we ever going to do that again, Lisa? I hope so. So here is the picture from 1996, October 30th. I don't know if it was October 31st or not. Halloween time 27 years ago of me and my girlfriend, Janie. Now, you should know something. The way I remember it, this is kind of the beginning of the end for me and this particular girlfriend. We were not a couple by the time uh, kind of the end of the year rolled around. Uh, Don't surely want to get into that. But here we go. Here's the picture, and I tried to figure out how I – You know, being that I have all this blurry stuff and everything on here now, uh, here it is. That is the picture of how Janie and I went to that party. I would have been, oh my goodness, 27. So I'm almost half the age of what I, wait, 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 20. Actually, that would have been, I'm half the age that I am now less than half the age that I'm. Of course, I'm 53. 
I was 26 in this picture. And so there you go. That was our costumes for that party. And um, I'm not getting uh, – Sheree, can we uh, delete some of those comments if you could? Um, yeah, that's the picture. Little did I know. You know, that was one of those things when I uh, – <laughs> closer, please. No way, Jasmine. Uh, you'll have to replay it and blow up your screen if you want to. It just doesn't. And plus, if I put it closer, it does it. There it is right there. One, one second. There we go. Right there. There we go. Um, see, this is one of those things. Be careful what you bring up. You might not just have to follow through. And so I followed through. Um. So that was that from uh, a couple weeks ago. I have no idea how that even came up uh, between me and her. I have no idea. I, I really uh, can't even begin to uh, say. But that's uh, the picture. Uh, Jasmine says, cool, Ed. Macy says, love it. Lisa wanted to hold it closer, closer, please. That's as close as you're getting, uh, you can watch it in the replay if you want to blow it up onto your team, uh, onto your TV or something. Uh, yeah, I know it's not bad, uh, Jasmine, but still, I thought that uh, I would, um, I was shirtless, Lisa. Yes, I was. I was quite scrawny. Um, no, I'm not bringing it to lunch, Lisa. I'm not going to do that. Uh, were you shirtless? I was, and I must have weighed about 150 pounds at the time. Now I'm like, that was really before I started getting into weightlifting and all that stuff. And, uh, I was pretty, 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 pretty scrawny, which is probably genetic. Uh, that's genetically how I am. Um, Debbie just can't trust Uh, Sheree, are we going to delete those people or what do you want to do here, Sheree? I guess I'll have to do it myself, Sheree. Um... Hold on a second, everybody. Okay, Sheree, I got it. I just, I just, I don't, I don't know where that's all coming from. Okay, let's move on. Um, so that's the picture, and uh, my dad is good. Thank you for Lee, uh, asking, Lisa. He's spectacular. I spoke to him today. He's not very happy about how his football team, Slippery Rock University, got blown out this weekend. But they're in the playoffs. He'll be going to the game this weekend. Uh, he's going to be 87 on December 1st and you would never know it. It's just crazy. It's absolutely 100% insane. He's never going to die. He's going to outlive me. Trust me. He's going to outlive me. So moving on, um, another, uh, story, a uh, pretty funny one. And some of you who follow me on, uh, Facebook, 
uh, know that this happened is all of you know that on Thursday nights, unless I'm having a show with Dr. Telesco, and we do have another one coming up at the end of this month, um, I go to trivia at a place called Fat Cats in Largo, Florida, every Thursday evening. Starts at 7 o'clock. It's me, my brother, his wife, and some of these teachers from Largo High School or retired teachers from Largo High School. And we've done – we've been going there over over 10 years, and we have really, really, really kicked butt over time. And I – um. Once in a while, you know, some of the, a lot of the people won't show up. They have other things going on. And there has been one or two times where I've showed up on Thursday evenings just by myself. And I've done okay. But what I decided to do, being that I had no disc golf going on this past weekend, and I, I had more time than I'm usually used to on a Saturday, I got my work done, did the Patreon blog, uh, working on a couple interview outlines, doing a, a lot of other unfound stuff. but. Come uh, Saturday evening, nothing was really going on. Me, single guy, you know, me and my uh, social life. And I decided, you know what? The guy that holds trivia on Thursday nights at Fat Cats, he's at this other restaurant slash bar that's really also not too far away from me. So I figured I'm not doing anything. I'm going to go over. And uh, play. I've never been in this place before. It's called Sharks. I've driven by it many times, have never set, set foot in the place. So I figure I'll go over there. I'll play trivia by myself. Let's see how I do. I get there. The guy's name who runs it is Eric. I've gotten to know him decently well. He was very surprised to see me. And I took a seat not far from where they, you know, right next to where they are set up for trivia. And I'm not going to get into how they run it and everything, but it's trivia. You know, they ask you questions. It's up on these screens. You answer. Of course, you turn your slip. You write the answer down. You turn your slips in. And I think there were at least like 18 other teams there, but I'm pretty sure I was the only team made up of one person, just myself. All the other teams had at least two or more people. And that's usually the situation. Even over at Fat Cats, where I usually go, that's usually the situation. Well, after like halfway through the questions, I was actually in second place out of like 18 teams. I was in second place. As I remind you, there's a lot of useless information up there in this brain of mine. I'm here to tell you. So in the second half of the contest, though, I didn't do as well, but even going somehow going to the final question, I was still tied for second place. I was four points behind. I had 93 points. Number one team had 97. I was tied with some other team that had 93 points. And you can bet up to 20 points on the final question. Of course, if you don't get it right, then you lose those 20 points. So... If I get it right, I go up to 113. If I lose, I go down to 73, and you can put any amount. You can bet one one point or 10 points or whatever. Maximum of 20, minimum of zero. And I'm going to tell you um, what the final question was, and I want to see. Nobody cheats out there. I want to see if any of you know it. I knew it. 
And I ended up being the only person in the entire building who knew it. And the, the question was this. The following Bible verse is inscribed in the lobby of which federal building in the United States? Once again, the following Bible verse is inscribed in what in the lobby of what federal government building in the United States. And in the, the line is the, the Bible verses, and ye shall find the truth and the truth shall, shall set you free. I think it's from John, the, the book of John. That Bible verse is inscribed in the lobby of what federal building in the United States. I knew this. Don't I, I? I have an idea of why I knew it, but I'm really not sure. I do a lot of reading. I don't do a lot of fiction reading. I do a lot of factual reading, like Wikipedia encyclopedia stuff. And probably somewhere in there, I ran across this. But nobody cheat. I don't want any cheaters posting their answers in the in, in the uh, chat here. Nobody cheat, please. I'm asking you respectfully. Um, once again, the, the question was the following Bible verse is inscribed in the lobby of what federal building in the United States and ye shall find the truth and the truth shall set you free. I'll give you all a few more seconds if you'd like to get in and, uh, answer. Uh, Lisa says Department of Justice. Lisa Lisa K says uh, Department of Justice. Lisa B says Department of Justice. Anybody else want to get uh, – Charlie is uh, – Sheree is saying the FBI building. I, of course, tell you the answer. I just want to let everybody uh, have a chance. I know some people may be a little delayed on the feed and everything. But I I saw the question, and I was like – I know this. And what really got me going was I didn't see any of the other teams rushing up to put their answers in. So I knew that probably all of the other teams have no idea what the answer was. Uh, you don't win anything. You get to um, you get to uh, just uh, know the answer, Lisa. That is your uh, gift tonight. I was the only person there who knew it. Bragging rights, yes. Bragging, bragging, bragging rights. And ye shall find the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That Bible verse is inscribed in the lobby of the CIA building. Believe it or not. I mean, I know it's ironic and everything else, but uh, the guy who uh, headed up the CIA kind of helped form it. His last name was Dulles, D-U-L-L-E-S. He wanted that inscribed on the wall as soon as you walk in the lobby of the CIA building, the one that was built in the uh, 19, early 1950s that from when uh, the CIA became the CIA. Remember... And up through World War II, it was called the OSS. 
and then it was con- uh, they changed the name to CIA Central Intelligence Agency, and that was the answer. And nephew Charlie knew it, uh, and he has the uh, advantage. Uh, Charlie, my nephew, this is not a conspiracy, uh, but my nephew, who is Charles in the chat, he had the advantage. I guess he's been there. I've never been there. So I only know it from having read it somewhere. I have no idea. I was the only person in the entire building who knew it. I got it right. I ended up winning by, what was it? It ended up being 16 points by myself. And what I got was a $50 gift certificate to the place where it was held, Sharks. How's that? Just showed up on a whim. I showed up like 10 minutes before the game started, and I ended up winning. I've never been in the place before. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit of an ego trip. Um, Bray, I think it would be funny if the – yeah, it, well, it's close to the FBI, I guess. Uh, very cool. That's cool. You should bring us a trivia question every show. So fun. All right, I might do that. That's an interesting idea, Cherie. Uh Charlie says, I worked there quite a bit, 2000 to 2002, right? I remember you did live in the uh, the Virginia area there, Charlie, but I don't remember what you were doing down there. Uh, Lisa, my son is good at trivia. He's on his high school scholar to bowl team. Did you ever do scholar bowl in high school? I did. Uh, I was on a team that went to different high schools, but I wouldn't call it a trivia team. It was more like a combination of like math and physics and a whole bunch of things, chemistry put together. I was on that team in high school. In fact, I was on that team sophomore, junior, and senior year. We were pretty good. Not the best, but we were pretty good. Thank you, Macy. I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, Charles gets the bragging rights. So we, I guess we keep it within the family, Charlie. So I was so pumped up. You do not even know how pumped up I was. <laughs> Because I love winning. So there you go. Uh, I thought you might. And by the way, the name of my team, you know, everybody has to name their team. The name of my team was Bo Derrick's Pool Boy. Because, you know, I have this weird infatuation with Bo Derrick. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Bo Derrick's Pool Boy. Uh, took the kids to see Santa. Oh, there you go. Took the, oh, that's nice, Valerie. You took your kids to see Santa in November. Okay. And one more thing before we get into the true crime section of the uh, live show tonight. Singing is going very well. Very, very uh, well, but I'm still not ready to sing for all of you. However, being that I went to trivia this past weekend, probably this coming weekend, I am going to show up at a karaoke bar here uh close to me that's well known for being a very good karaoke bar once again it's not far from me probably going to show up there on friday or saturday evening or saturday night and i may just even sing something we'll just have to see but i'm not ready to sing for all of you um bass pro shops and eighth om i like both those places valerie all right Okay, let's get to the true crime stuff now that the personal stuff and pictures. And if you missed the picture, I'll show it one more time for anybody who got here late. It's right here. This is. How do I do that? 
How do I do this? There I am in 1996, half of my age that I am now. Me and my girlfriend at the time, maybe Charlie, uh, my nephew, remembers Janie from back then. There I am. All right, moving on. This past Friday's episode, um, the resolved in parentheses somewhat uh, episode, the first of its kind. Of course, I did the Unfound Now uh, show. Um, It was a special episode that came out on a Monday. That was for all the Unfound Now episodes that have played right here on YouTube. But the first of its kind, of course, I do the update episodes, but I kind of just wanted to get now I think we have everybody on the same page with the updates. And now everybody who listens to the podcast knows the resolutions somewhat that have happened for Unfound since its beginning in September of 2016. There were a total of uh, 28 uh, that I talked about, starting with, I think, uh, Andrea Bowman. And then at least in the timeline, the last one was Alan Glasgow, although Dennis J. Lushbaugh was the last one in the recording because I added that on the end because I had made that recording actually back in August. For Patreon and YouTube members, these are some of the things that they get that the rest of you don't. You might want to sign up, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, or hit the join button below. But I did write a blog at patreon.com regarding the resolved episode. And I go, you know, in the episode, uh, in the summation, I went through why at least from my opinion on why is the number so low? Why is the percentage only 9%? Why isn't it 15% or 20% or something like that? And I went through the police reasons. From a police point of view, looking at the police, why is the the, the number so low, the percentage so low? Looked at what I think are the problems with police and why it causes their problems that causes the percentage to be so low. And remember, the way I view the disappearances that we've covered on Unfound, I think it is a fair representation of all disappearances as a whole. At least in the United States, of course, we have a few in Canada, one in Africa, one in New Zealand. Um, But I think it's a fair representation of all disappearances. We have, I think, a lot of different demographics, very young, very old, different ethnicities, different states, different cities out in the city, in the city, in the country. Of course, we have a few disappearances that happened out on the water. Um, Of course, the Pickering Six, the Marco Island Three. You know, we've done Flight 370. It's, I think it's a fair mixture. And still, all of it put together, 9%. And so I went through that, looking at what are the, mistakes police make that causes that percentage to be so low well in the blog this week on patreon for those of you who are uh, are signed up at patreon i wrote about friends concerned strangers families psychics numerologists etc and the true crime community the mistakes that they all make that causes that number to also not be 
as high. And and there, there are a lot of reasons. Now, I realize that some of these disappearances already, as I stated in the episode, it's very sad that many that have already been featured on Unfound, I let's say I make it to 85 years old. I think I would be fortunate to make it to 85. So that's 32 years from now. Unfortunately, my attitude is that there will be many un- disappearances that have already been featured on Unfound that will not be solved 32 years from now. It's very sad. And so I realized there are probably some disappearances that happened that there's just, even if the people would, you know, all taken an interest right at the very second that the disappearance happens, that they still could go unsolved. But certainly there are quite a few that Unfound is featured where if, if things had gone differently, they wouldn't be unsolved as of right now. And they would have been included. Or they might not have made it on Unfound at all, or they would have been featured. And sometime after being featured, they would have been resolved and they would have been on the list that came out on Friday. And so instead of 28, maybe we would have had 35 or 40 or something. Certainly that argument can be made, but it's not all law enforcement's fault. It's very sad. It's very easy to just point their fingers. And I realize they are ultimately the ones that have the ability to, you know, do searches and get warrants and subpoenas and go on private property and a lot of things that we as private people can't do. So they certainly have a lot of responsibility, but everybody has to uh, own up on this. It's not all their fault. And if you're wondering, well, what, you know, what kind of faults are these other people making? You know, um, I'll give you some. Uh, For example, you know, the issue with friends, as we've heard many times on Unfound in the interviews that I've done, friends move on. Friends move on. Maybe we could think recently like John Spira's uh, disappearance, where really of all the people that he was friends with in his band and everywhere else, as his sister said, only one or two people really, really ever check in, you know, find out, uh, you know, what's going on with John's case. That's an example. Concerned strangers. And what I mean by concerned strangers, I mean people who take on a disappearance and really concentrate on it and maybe do FOIA work and everything else. We might think of somebody like on John Polos, who's kind of not a stranger, but a guy who really took an interest uh, in in a disappearance because he worked with a woman. Or we might think about Reggie, who was the guest for Cal Fleischman's episode, a very concerned stranger. She never knew John. She never knew Cal, but for some reason she lives in the area. She took an interest. And so I point out, You know, these are some of the mistakes that these people make. And one of my insights was that certainly these people have a lot of passion. And they certainly have shown the ability to collect a lot of information. And I give them all the respect in the world for that. We need more people like a John Polos and a Reggie and, and, uh, of course, Kelly Bruce slash Cocknauer. Is that how you say her name? Kelly, if you're out there, I apologize. Probably mispronounced it again. Mispronounced it again. 
We need more people like that. But the problem those people usually have is they have a lot of passion, but they don't have a lot of knowledge about all of the other disappearances out there. For example, with Kyle Fleischman, certainly if you didn't know anything about any other disappearance that has ever happened in the history of the world, and you looked at Kyle Fleischman's disappearance, you would think it's foul play. Why? Well, you know, he was dancing with some other, some other guy's girlfriend or fiance. He left his coat and jacket at the bar. He did not seem like the type of person. He was not in a situation in his life where you would think it would, that he would walk off or commit suicide or something like that. There are a lot of reasons that we can look at to think, if we didn't know anything about any other disappearances, to think, yep, he had to be murdered. The problem is we have a lot of examples like Kyle Fleischman's disappearance. There are many, many, many. It's a very common type of disappearance. And what do we know? Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time when those disappearances are resolved, it's not foul play. It's usually a person, usually a male, who is drunk doing something he shouldn't be doing, an accident or something like that. Sometimes it's foul play. And certainly the people who believe in the smiley face killer hoax believe that a lot of those are foul play. But I think that we've shown on Unfound that a large majority of them are accidents. So if you don't know that, if you're getting involved in a disappearance like Kyle Fleischman's and you're collecting all this information, you don't know, you could easily keep going in that foul play, foul play, foul play direction and not realizing the odds of it being foul play are a lot lower than you think. So I go through that. Families, big thing about families are they think too often that it's foul play. I think we've shown on Unfound that that 60 to 65% of the disappearances that we've covered on Unfound are probably murders. The issue, my experience with families, is that 95% of them think that it's foul play. Of course, we know that's wrong. So having a wrong perception about that, once again, can cause everybody to go in a different direction. That only makes uh, a resolution to that disappearance less likely. So that was my uh, blog on um, on Patreon this week. If that sounds interesting to you, you can read it. I also do an audio version if you'd just like to listen to it. The blog is about 3,000-some words, and usually to listen to it, it takes between like 18 and a half and uh, 20 minutes uh, for the audio version. So let's see what everybody is saying here. Um Karaoke so fun, Lisa. We'll see. Hello, Patty. Good to see you tonight. Hello, Hazel. Cult, what's going on? Have there been any improvements on how missing persons cases are investigated since you started? Uh, not to my um, observation, Lisa, but of course, I'm not uh, neck deep in any particular investigation. But just from an outside looking at it, I guess the answer would have to be No. Sheree says, only 50% of you have hit the like button. Please give uh, this a thumbs up if you could uh, to make me and Sheree happy. Lisa, that is a sad statistic. I've met many other families with missing loved ones that are part of that number. Yep, Lisa, I realize you are in the 91%. 
You're in the 91%. So, um, there, uh, yeah, but I go through each group. Of course, psychics, you know what I think about them. Um, and er so everybody could use a little bit of improvement. And I do get into the true crime community as well, including myself. Uh, Shri, I will check that right now. Is that right? Oh, my goodness, Sheree. Uh, why don't you uh, post that in the chat right now so then I will talk about it. Maybe some of you already know. Uh, thank you, Sheree, for keeping your uh, eyes and ears on the news out there. Uh, Charlene, I hope you're all having a good Hello, Charlene. What's going on in Ireland uh, on Tuesday morning? You staying up late? Good to see you, Charlene. Thank you. We've had a few people refuse to allow searchers for chip. I believe it, Lisa. I believe it. So that is the uh, – just some more comments on the resolved. And once again, in parentheses, I realize that some of them are not totally resolved. Of course, Kamisha Hollis, her remains have not been found yet. Tiffany Johnson, her remains have not been found yet. Unique Harris, her remains have not been found yet. But I chose to put them in there. Because there are people who are now answering for those disappearances. But I just, of course, also mentioned that uh, there's still at least some work to do. But at least somebody has been charged with something and that person uh, is in jail. And if Kamisha Hollis's remains are found, if, if T Tiffany Johnson's are or Unique Harris, I, of course, tell all of you about that. And then that will become part. Uh, of an update episode. It's some uh, update episode at some point. Um, as Sheree just wrote, Donald Addison has been arrested in the murder of Dan Markell. Oh my goodness. So I guess maybe, just maybe, I am going to uh, be proven wrong on that one. Hey, I don't get everything right. Uh, I had uh, concerns. In fact, it was on my agenda to talk about the touch upon that tonight. I guess I don't have to. I guess we're talking about it right now. That, of course, we knew Charlie Adelson last week was convicted. He's not been sentenced yet, but the prediction is he's going to spend a lot, uh, maybe the rest of his life in jail. And now his mother, Donna, so this would be Dan Markell's ex-mother-in-law, who a lot of people have thought, at least the perception, rumor, theorizing, that she was actually the uh, head honcho, the instigator of all this in the first place, given a, some things that came out at trial and elsewhere about what she had to say about Dan and how he would not allow his ex-wife to take their kids back down to South Florida. So there you go. Donald Ad Donna Adelson has been arrested. For the murder of Dan Markell. Oh, my goodness. Lisa, more and more cases without bodies are being pursued. I, I, I hope you're right, Lisa. Uh, I think it just depends on what kind of uh, case it is. And uh, as, as I've told you, Lisa, as I've told everybody else, disappearances are something that can be learned. It shouldn't be just something that's just out there in the ether and we just have to figure it out every time these are this is something that can be studied and learned and improved upon as far as the investigations are going this is no different 
than science, some kind of science or engineering or uh, maybe in sports, looking at game film and being able to plan for the next team. Disappearances are no different than that if people are willing to put in, to, in the time. I'm going to keep saying that. It does not have to, have to be the first time every time a disappearance happens. Twinkle regarding, I guess Donna Adelson said, I figured that was coming. Okay, Twinkle. Um, and Lisa is saying to Shree, whoa, good. Yep, a lot of people, like I've stated, uh, certainly could believe that she could have been involved, but I don't know if there's any proof of that, but maybe there is proof of it. Uh, would Charlie Adelson really roll over on his mother? Maybe those other people who've already been convicted, but they really, did they have any contact? Uh, maybe there are emails or texts or something from the days before Dan Markell got killed or after showing that uh, she had um, premeditated knowledge because we have to remember something. This is very, very important. Just because Donna Adelson at one point might've said, man, I wish that Dan was dead. That does not mean she instigated this plan. We just have to, we have to keep that in mind. Just because she might've said over the dinner table, just because she might've put it in a text, just because she put it in an email or whatever else, just man, I wish that guy was dead. He is ticking me off so much. What he's doing to my daughter and everything else, that does not mean she instigated anything. We have free speech. You can certainly say that in the United States. Certainly. It's not a you know, uh, a chargeable offense. The question is, what if we find out she starts talking about weapons and you know, you know, says, "Well, here's how you could do it." Then that starts to get closer to being able to be charged. But if she just said it in passing, just because she's ticked off, that's not a felony. Um, there's much more room for improvement, Lisa. I agree. Uh, I had a feeling she had something to do with it. Jasmine says, uh, Shree says that was nearly as much evidence against Donna as there was against Charlie. I guess, um, I, I guess, but wasn't Charlie really the one who had the contact with the woman who then found those two guys? Didn't he have much more direct contact with that woman? I don't know her name off the top of my head than Donna did. Maybe I'm wrong. All right, Shree. So Shree uh, breaks uh, news. I love when this happens, uh, right when we're doing the live show, so we can get it out there first, so everybody can hear for the first time. Donna Adelson has been charged with Dan Markell's murder. I'm just wondering, uh, Shree, maybe you can look in and see what the actual charges are. Maybe you can post those. If uh, they're out there, you can put that in the chat as well, because I'm going to move on now. Uh, moving on, um, something that I'm working on right now, this is going to be a first friend found. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it happen before the end of the year though. Unfound is going to do its first Spanish episode. How about that? It's been something that's been on my mind for a while, and then just within the last couple months, a disappearance 
has been presented to me. Uh, one, I, I'm not going to get into who it is, but uh, a woman went missing in North Carolina. And her mother is in Mexico. And her mother only speaks Spanish. And so I've been communicating with her through Facebook Messenger you get using Google Translate. And it's been fairly – but fairly gone fairly well. But, of course, you can't do a, an episode of a podcast. You can't do an interview like we do in Unfound using that. So what I've done is I've sought out former assistant Natasha. Everybody remember Natasha? And um, I'm still uh, still talk to her once in a while. Well, Natasha is bilingual. Her father was American, but her mother uh, was Bolivian. And so Natasha grew up in a bilingual house. And so she speaks English as well as she speaks Spanish. So I sought her out, and she could not be more excited uh, than to be involved in this. And so she's already had a couple conversations with this young woman's uh, mother in Mexico. They've spoken in Spanish, and Natasha recorded it so I could listen to it, and she uh, has translated it for me. And I think what's going to happen eventually – I just was talking to, to Natasha about this yesterday. We had like a 40-an-hour uh, conversation about all of this is that probably what's going to happen is I'm going to type up an interview outline in English, and then it'll be converted to Spanish. And then Natasha will interview this uh, the mother, and then it will get translated into English with audio, and that's how it will become an episode. Still working out all the details and everything else, but I think it's going to happen. It's a lot of work, but it's been something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, you know, we're over seven years into this uh, into this podcast. I don't know if any other podcast has ever done anything like this, where you know the host doesn't speak English but still figures out a way to do an episode that with somebody who speaks Spanish only. So uh, kind of excited about this. Once again, it could fall through uh, the floorboards at any time, but um, that's, uh, I think it's going to happen. And this is a disappearance where not only is the young woman missing, but her car is missing as well. So that is something I am working on uh, with Natasha's help. Uh, hopefully we can make it happen. Like I said, a lot of moving parts on this. Not sure if we're going to be able to get this done before the end of the year. But it's on the plate right now. You know, it's it's out there. Um, Sheree says regarding Dan Markell, uh, yes, but it was all done encouraging, insisting actually that Charlie take care of Wendy's problem. Okay. Lisa, armchair expert podcast used AI to change their voices to Spanish speaking. It is crazy. I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that, Lisa. That uh, is just cheating, and I really don't know if AI would. Uh, you know, we we've seen what AI can do, and you just you know, it's just it's so. Uh, forgive the pun. It's so robotic. 
And so I'm just going to do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, I think people want to hear real people talking. And uh, um, I'm not going to use any AI to change my voice. I'm just not going to do that. In fact, I'm sure that there are already podcasters out there using AI to write their scripts. That would be the freaking day that I would do that. Hazel, exactly, Sheree. She was the instigator as well as the one to benefit the most. She wanted those boys and would stop at nothing to get them. Twinkle, that's right, Sheree. I think Donna is a really bad person. All right. So that is uh, um, uh, a reveal on a Spanish episode uh, that we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. And I'm hoping this works out. Certainly want to help this uh, woman who, once again, is not an American citizen. She's in Mexico. But her daughter was here, and, um, you know, I just think that we as Americans uh, owe her something. So I'm going to give it my best to do that. All right, moving on. Um, I got permission tonight to talk about this just a teeny, little, 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 teeny, weeny, teeny, teeny, teeny little bit. And this is something that developed just a couple hours before I came to this microphone tonight. There is another unfound resolution out there, but it's not going to be made public for a while. Um, I can't, unfortunately, given the situation, I will have to wait until this person uh, goes public with this. But it is a fairly, um, I don't know how well known uh, this disappearance is, but uh, it's been covered, of course, on Unfound. And uh, certainly when the reveal is made, I think it will be a big deal to a lot of people. And I found out about it this evening. And I found out about it weirdly from a different guest who found out about it. And then this guest put me in contact with the guest who was on, who was on unfound for this particular disappearance. And I got to talk to this person and this person did say, yep. 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 Pretty, 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 uh, sure. But once again, Uh, This is not going to be made public, though, until next year. Like I said, a lot of things have to to happen. But this guest assured me it's 99.99% that this disappearance has been resolved. Twinkle, uh, I have to go ahead. Lutchman and I look forward to lunch. All right, I will uh, message you on Facebook, Lisa. We'll make it happen for sure. All right, Lisa, good to see you in the the, uh, chat tonight. I hope you're doing well. Say hi to all of your family for me. All I will tell you uh, regarding this update, this resolution that will not be made public, and you know me, I don't scoop people. You know, I'm very discreet. Uh, I want to always be sure that everybody knows that I can be trusted to keep things on the down low. Because that's the only thing, you know, if you blab too much and you too quickly want to go to the microphone to blab about something, that's when people stop trusting you and then you don't end up finding out anything. So here's what I will tell you that it's not Tom Brown. I'll give you uh, at least some disclaimers. It's not Tom Brown. 
And what else can I say about it? Is that unfortunately this uh, person is deceased. This is not going to be a resolution like Brandon Roberts or Alan Glasgow's Patrick Reed's where that uh, where the people are alive. Unfortunately, this uh, missing person is deceased. Uh, and it's not Tom Brown, but we're going to find out the entire story as to what happened. I've been assured of this. So you can start, I guess, guessing <laughs> what disappearance that unfound is covered uh, that you think it is. But given that it's not going to be made public until February, should probably tell you this is not um, this is not one of the regular type of disappearances that has been featured on Unfound. Uh, it's one of those ones that is um, very unique. I'll just leave it at that. So you can start guessing in the chat. Of course, I will not let anybody know if you got right or not. In fact, uh, my assistants don't even know uh, the disappearance that I'm talking about. But I think it's going to, um, once again, when it comes out, I think it's really going to um, kind of be an earth shaker, I think. I think everybody is going to be like, oh, so that's what happened. Okay. So there you go. Um, let me uh, – thank you. Lisa, yes, it's great. Yeah, keeping things quiet. Lisa is asking me. It's Brian Schaefer. All right, I'll give you that. Not Brian Schaefer. All right, that's the last. That's the last one I'm going to do. Don't uh, you can you can post your guess in the chat, but that's the last one I'm going to respond to. It's not Brian Schaefer. All right, moving on. Um, what do I want to get to? Uh, I've already uh, the Adelson. I had that on my agenda, but that's already been um, covered. Why don't I just get this out of the way right now, being that Lisa B is here. Lisa B, uh, not going to – I can't answer that, uh, Serenity. Um, can't answer that. Sorry. I just can't. Um, Lisa B, who is in here. Uh, uh, was had this question. I like the I think the reason I like to wind down, fall asleep to unfound. I'm not going to be offended by that, Lisa. Is because there are no ads. Ads are usually high volume and will wake me up. Curious as to why you've remained ad free. Is it ethics? What I mean is having who knows what playing through your podcast because I'm guessing you wouldn't get to pick which ads play. Uh, as I told you uh, in the the group, Lisa, actually Unfound's podcast now does have ads. And it has had ads since March of 2022 when I started my contract with Megaphone, which is actually Spotify. But the way you are listening to it with the app that you're, you are using, uh, Lisa, it must be that the ads don't plan that particular one. It's really all that I can tell you. But it is true from September 2016 until March of 2022 unfound had no ads zero and the reason was that what's well, a couple reasons first of all at least the way i treat what we're doing here is it's here it's very serious 
And from the very beginning, it always seemed weird to me. Here I am doing this serious interview. And then right in the middle of the interview, you know, just pops in, you know, it's some whatever ad it is. And it's funny or it's this, it's that is corny music and everything. And then it goes back to the serious interview I'm doing with some missing person's mother. To me, it kind of um, dilutes what we're trying to do here. You know, uh, you know, I could even point this out like on, uh, like, for example, local news. They'll have some serious story. You know, everybody, you know, the, uh, the, the newsreader will be looking into the camera, reading from the, the teleprompter and being very serious, you know, talking about a murder and everything. And then as soon as that story ends, she, uh, she or he will be like, and in our following news, we're going to talk about the apple pie contest that happened last night over at the Catholic Church. You see what I'm saying? And so that is why for so long I avoided ads because you don't have any control over that. And that those ads will be just put in your podcast wherever the the host the podcast host sees, you know, sees fit. I've totally, you know, totally out of my control. And what I also saw is that you allow that to happen. And these ad companies are more than happy to take over your podcast. If you have an hour long podcast, you might get 20 minutes of ads. And I just wanted, didn't want to do that. But what then you're probably wondering, well, then what changed, Ed, now that you do have ads? I'll tell you what changed. What I can do with Megaphone is something that I can't do with any other company to my knowledge. I get to pick where the ads play in each episode. So what happens is that I record the episode, I upload it to Megaphone, and I'm setting it all, you know, the picture, the, you know, the description and all of that on their site. And then there is a page where I get to see the actual timeline of the audio. And so I can go in and click where I want the ads to be. So as you, you know, maybe Lisa doesn't realize this, but for most other people who listen on iTunes, Spotify, many other apps, what I usually do is two apps play before the episode starts, two ads play before the interview starts, the interview is not interrupted at any time by any ads. And then two ads play after the interview is over. So for regular episodes, that's how it is. Now, for of course, for the resolution episode, uh, resolved episode that just came out or the update episodes, then I put them more evenly spaced throughout however long the episode is, two hours or whatever else. And what I usually try to do is I usually once again, still do two at the beginning, but then I put one like every 20 minutes or something, you know, one here at the 20 minute mark, 40 minute mark, hour mark, an hour and 20 uh, until the episode is over. And I try to put it in a space where it looks like on the timeline, there's like a hesitation or a pause or some dead air anyway. That's how I do it. Whereas I think, my, I really don't know, uh, other true crime podcasts that are with Megaphone and, uh, and Spotify, I have no idea. 
But if you're listening to any podcast from Wondery or some of those other companies, they do it the other way where uh, the host makes the episode and then Wondery just puts those ads wherever it sees fit and however many it sees fit. That's how this all works behind the scenes. Giving you a little behind the scenes. I don't know how many podcast hosts talk about what goes on behind the scenes regarding scenes regarding ads and how they end up in a podcast and all of that. I'm more than willing to tell you, you know, it's not magic. It's not secret or anything. But so for a long time, there were no ads until somebody presented me uh, with a way to have ads in a way that didn't get in the way of my vision, my ethics as a reporter. Me, I don't mind if I get, you know, interrupted. That's why I just put them, you know, wherever in when I'm just talking in the update episodes, the resolved episode. But when it's somebody else talking and it's a serious topic, that uh, I just can't go with that. I just can't do it. Uh, You're welcome, Lisa. That makes so much sense. Thank you. Hi, Fairy. What's going on? Uh, Sorry I'm late. I worked until 7 p.m. Sorry, uh, Pacific time. Sorry to hear that. I was just answering Lisa's question about ads in the episodes. So that is how that all works. If you've ever wondered how ads end up in Unfound, I actually get to pick where they go. Most other hosts do not. So that's why you'll go in an interview for two hours or however long, and you won't hear one ad. That's by design. All right, moving on. Uh, Very quickly, um... For all of you Patreon supporters and YouTube supporters, once again, if you want to be a supporter on YouTube, just hit the join button below. If you're watching on YouTube, of course, you're watching on Facebook. You'll have to go over to YouTube to hit the join button. The next found episode, which will come out at the end of this month. And if you're unclear what that is, that is where I look at a disappearance that was actually eventually resolved, whether the missing person ended up being deceased or alive. Um, Started out with Brandon Lawson. Of course, he was deceased, or it will eventually prove to be deceased. But we know Elizabeth Smart alive. J.C. Dugard actually covered the Titanic. Uh, Did Lori Ruff, the woman who changed her identity, she ended up being deceased. And uh, unfortunately, sadly, she committed suicide. Well, this coming, uh, the end of this month, I'm going to do from disappearance to the discovery of Agatha Christie. I don't know how many people realize, as famous as she is, one of the the best-selling authors in the history of the world, and certainly the highest-selling uh, uh, mystery author. I don't know how many people realize that she actually went missing for, what was it, 10 days, two weeks, or something like that in her life. Nobody knew where she was. In fact, there was a movie that was made about it. There's been you know, some documentaries, and I know probably some podcasts have examined all that, but I'm going to do it the way I do it, and we're going to look at her disappearance, why it might have happened. We're going to look at the time in which she was missing. We're going to look at news stories that were written about her disappearance, what people were saying at the time. And then uh, we're going to look at how she eventually was discovered and you know, maybe theorize on why she went missing in the first place. There's a 
belief out there that she decided to go missing on her own because of she'd just broken up with her fiance. She had a problem with a relationship that fell apart. Some people believe maybe she had some sort of dissociative fugue. She really didn't know what she was doing. Uh, some people maybe thought she was depressed. Maybe she was thinking about committing suicide and then changed her mind. A lot of different theories out there. But we're going to look at the disappearance of Agatha Christie uh, to her reappearance. And we're going to go the – I'm going to look at what I think are the main factors regarding all of that and then the contributing factors for all of that, just like I've done with every episode to this point. And, yes, before I'm done, I will give you um, my best insight on why I think Agatha Christie went missing. And then why she appeared again. And we will look at it just the way we always look at it. Remembering that disappearances are about people, not about circumstances. So for all of you people on Patreon and the supporters here on YouTube, Agatha Christie will be uh, the next episode of Found. And far as the next Unfound now... Really haven't gotten uh, into that yet. We still got a couple weeks to figure that out. But I've already decided that Agatha Christie. Of course, this is fitting. You know that um, within the last few years, some of her books have been remade again into movies. Uh, with Kenneth Branagh being, uh, playing Hercule Poirot. And he's also the director of the movies. Uh, you know, and I, I've seen the first two, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Of course, it's a remake. That movie has been, that story has been done before, even back in the 1970s. Death on the Nile, uh, which had Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot in it, uh, among other, um, actors and actresses in that. And then we know very recently, right here at Halloween time, what was it? Uh, Haunting in Venice. That's also another Agatha Christie. Uh, novel, although that was not the name of the book. But uh, so I thought it might be fitting. Here uh, we have these Agatha Christie, and these movies have done okay at the box office. Um, maybe I thought this was a good time to talk about Agatha Christie, being that uh, some of her books are being made into movies again. Lisa, did you notice that the Vanish podcast came out with an episode about William Bynum today? I did not. Um. Uh, news to me, uh, Lisa, as you know, I really don't keep tabs on what other true crime podcasts are doing. You should know something, Lisa, in um, Marissa's defense, uh, the host there, although she technically doesn't do the interviews over there. Um, they do things over there, as I've learned, a little differently than what we do here. I would not be surprised if that interview uh, was not done months ago uh so it's not i don't want anybody to think that uh the vanished is ripping unfound off surely not in fact i can almost guarantee that i did um my interview for that episode after they did the interview for their episode it's just that they tend to do like more of a stockpile thing they will pile up interviews and all the information then release throughout the year. Whereas me, mine's more like an assembly line where I really don't like to do interviews until before, you know, a couple weeks before I think, you know, before it's going to come out. So don't, I don't want anybody out there to think that uh, they're 
you know, just following on Unfound's coattails. I can assure you that's not what happened. It's just two different ways of putting a podcast together. That's all it is. Okay. Uh, not tomorrow morning, but Wednesday morning. Well, tomorrow, if you're listening, this is a podcast, which will come out on Tuesday the 14th. On Wednesday morning, I will be making an appearance at Largo High School right here in Pinellas County. Uh, This is the high school where some of my trivia teammates are teachers. Uh, My sister-in-law, Laureen, used to be a vice principal there. She's retired now. Happy for her. My brother's wife, she was a vice principal there. But I have been asked to go over and speak to students there on Wednesday morning about podcasting. Uh, I got asked this uh, last Thursday by, once again, one of my teammates on my trivia team. And you know me, I like to speak to people. I have no fear of getting up in front of people and talking, as long as I can be a little prepared, of course. And so I will be doing that on Thursday morning. I've already put a PowerPoint together. I've already emailed it to somebody at the school so it can be all set up when I get there. And I'll be speaking from 9 a.m. to maybe like 9.45 a.m. And then maybe there'll be some time for some questions. Not going to do um, what uh, I, I do like at the schools. You know, that's I'm not going to necessarily be talking about disappearance. I'm just going to be talking about podcasting. What does it take to be a podcaster? How do you put a podcast to get, uh, you know, together? If you're interested in doing that, can you make a career out of it? Do you want to just do this for fun? Although I may give them some disappearance tips before I'm done. Of course, we, I'm going to be speaking to people, young people, teenagers, you know, because probability of maybe running away or getting sex trafficked and all that. And so I'm just going to also, before I'm done, give them some pointers. Of course, it's not going to be coming from their parents or their, uh, you know, their teachers about any of this. It's going to be coming from somebody who actually, you know, deals with this. And I'm hoping maybe I can have an impact on them, some things that they can take away besides just about podcasting, about keeping themselves safe. Um, so they don't become victims. I don't want to end up doing an episode on any of these young people who uh, I'll be speaking to on Wednesday morning. So I'm going to be there. I just kind of came out of the blue uh, to be asked to do this, and uh, I'm excited about it. I know this is really flies in the face of a lot of people who don't like speaking up in front of people. I enjoy it. So there, there you go. Uh, very produced, uh, fairy says very cool. Thanks. All right. Uh, I want to talk about this. What is this? I know it's blurry and everything just because of the camera and how it works. This is the Steve. I told you I got a letter from Steve Pankey last Monday and I had a chance to look at it. And as I told you last week, I would talk about it for the live show tonight. It is three pages, and I think as I told you last week, it does end with him saying, um, you know, thank you for com- com- communicating with me. I appreciate it. Now, I'm not going to read every word because there, there are certain things in this letter uh, that I'm going to have to clear. Uh, as I told you on a prior live show that 
Steve's first lawyer, Anthony Viorst, V-I-O-R-S-T, uh, I did have a conversation with him, what was it, a month and a half ago or something like that now, two months ago, time flies. And he did say, if I ever want to talk to him again about anything that Steve says or anything, he would be open to it. So th- there are certain things in this letter that I will have to talk to uh, specifically with Mr. Viorst about before I could ever talk to them public with you or anything else. Maybe it might be I can't uh, talk to you about it at all. But I will give you some of the highlights from this three-page letter. Um, Steve reiterates that he thinks, you know, um, what something that was brought out in the second letter was the whole discovery. And it, of course, discovery before trials where, where the, you know, the prosecution comes together with the defense, then they share information, all the information that might make it into a trial. Any statements, paperwork from back in 1984 for Janelle's disappearance, anything that's happened since. And then, of course, each side wants to argue for or against that stuff being allowed into the trial. Of course, the judge is the one who eventually gets to make the ultimate decision during discovery. And discovery was brought up in the second letter. I brought it up with uh, Anthony Viorst, the lawyer, uh, regarding one specific point. And it had to do with Janelle allegedly talking about suicide and everything. And of course, Anthony Viorst said, I don't remember anything like that. Well, in this letter, at least in the first part of it, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points uh, that he makes in this letter. So he, he did a lot of writing. Remember, it's easier for me. I get to type everything out. He has to write everything by hand. In the uh, in point number one, he reiterates that that the dis- everything that was mentioned in the discovery phase, I guess, in at least trial number one, uh, needs to be looked at. He says, uh, you know, you need to download the first thousand pages of discovery. Of course, the problem is that I, you know, I would think this would be something. This whole thing about Janelle and whatever. Um, you know, was she having issues? She did talk about wanting to go off and run off and meet her biological mother. She did say, claim that she was being followed. She did claim that she hated her parents. Those are all things that are on the record. I'm not, this is stuff that came out in the trial. I'm not, this isn't me speaking out of school. But some of these other things uh, that Steve is saying, you know, uh, Mr. Viorst told me, you know, he just doesn't remember that. And so when I told Steve this, He's saying, well, you need to uh, download or get the whole discovery, all thousand pages or whatever. At, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so um, this is something, once again, before I read really specifically some of these things he said, I'm going to have to run this by Anthony Voris we'll see. Once again, stuff in discovery is not privileged. It's not privileged. This is if, you know, Mr. Viorst, uh, Tony uh, wants to talk to me about these things. He is not invading Steve's rights on this. Keep that in mind. Uh, And I even told uh, Tony back when I first contacted him, 
I certainly do not want anything to happen here where he I'm not expecting anything to get in the way of his ethics. I'm not that I'm not that type of reporter. All right. I'm not. Uh, I'm interested in this, but it doesn't mean that much to me where I expect somebody to uh, get in trouble with the law or I expect them to do that. And I'll be ticked off. They don't. I'm not that kind of reporter. So in the first part, he once again reiterates about how all, everything in discovery, I should seek out everything uh, from the discovery phase. I don't even know how I would get a hold of all that. It's certainly not online. So, um, and I don't think that, you know, I'm going to do that anyway, but we'll just have to see. But that's what he brought up in the first part of this, that I really, really have to get much deeper into the what was talked about in the discovery, I guess, for one trial, if not both trials. In part number two, I'm not going to read this out loud um, because Steve kind of goes into his own postulating uh, what happened. And this is more than he's done in any of the other two letters. And um, what he's writing just seems a little fanciful to me. Now, he may, once again, if you believe that he killed Janelle, then of course it's all crap. <laughs> but if you're more on the fence, then maybe maybe you'll see something in this. As you know, I'm on the fence, but there's nothing here that he says that really makes me say, oh, yeah, yeah, he definitely didn't kill Janelle. There's nothing that he types here. In fact, like I said, what he writes here is is a bit – it's more like something out of a Columbo episode – and not something that actually happens in real life. In fact, I think there was a Columbo episode where kind of something like this actually, you know, was a plot. So there's that. Um, so that was section number two, and that goes for about uh, 20 lines or something like that. I don't know how many words. But he gets into that. And the, the last part in it is that uh, he on those sides, assumptions are not facts. That's what ends that section. And he underlines it. The next part I will read to you word for word, because this is about me and him. This and, and so I'm going to read this. This is part number three, and it's the bottom of page two. To the best of my recollection, Steve says, I only lied to you about my father-in-law what my father-in-law didn't say. At the time, I didn't know if Greeley Police, the Greeley Police Department was going after me or if they wanted to coerce me to go after Russ Ross. Remember, before we taped, Detective Cash taped his conversation with me. That's true. We have to remember, when I interviewed him uh, in October of 2019, all of his stuff had already been taken. They had already served all his warrants, taken his phones, taken his cars, uh, gone through his house and everything else and all of that. All of that came out of trial. That is that is true. Before we t- – he said, remember, before we taped uh, – before we taped, comma, Detective Cash taped his conversation with me stating he was interested in Russ Ross. I don't remember that. Greeley, Weld County Police had attempted to coerce me to testify against 
uh, someone, I'm not going to mention this person's name, Steve, in 1981, my statement about my father-in-law sounded like BS, and it was. That lie would have gotten the DA laughed out of court had he tried to build a case against Russ reusing my testimony. My lie had a calculated, limited purpose. Now, that's he's saying that's the only time he lied to me. Now, granted, I've listened to my interview with Steve more than any other interview that I've ever done. But I'm pretty sure that he lied more than that to me. <laughs> pretty sure. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. But that's what he wrote. And that came out at least in the first trial because he went up on 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 the stand and and uh, said that he had lied about this call, you know. But we have to remember he's admitting he's a liar, and that was one. I mean, we know that. I'm not saying Steve's a killer or not. That's up for you all of you to decide. Of course, the jury decided that he was. Um, we know the killers lie. Killers are much more likely to lie than innocent people. However, innocent people have lied and gotten charged with things, and uh, then it was shown later that they did lie, and they had reasons to lie, and they actually didn't have anything to do with the crime. This does happen, but that's a lot less likely to happen than killers or criminals in general lying, whether they're bank robbers or carjackers or anyone else. They generally lie. Once again, they don't want to get caught, so they lie. So we have to keep this in mind. But that's what he wrote. I will read it one more time. To the best of my recollection, I only lied to you about my father-in-law, what, about what my father-in-law didn't say. At the time, I didn't know if GPD, Greeley Police Department, was going after me, comma, or if they wanted to coerce me to go after Russ Ross. Remember, before we taped, comma, Detective Cash taped his conversation with me, stating he was interested, quote-unquote, in Russ Ross. I don't remember that. Greeley Weld County Police and Weld County Police had attempted to coerce me to testify against Steve Adams in 1981. There's that uh, name there. Unfortunately, I said it. My statement about my father-in-law sounded like BS, and it was. That lie would have gotten the DA laughed out, of course, had he tried to build a case against Russ Ross using my testimony. My lie had a calculated limited purpose. So here he is doing all this calculating, but he's claiming that he didn't kill Janelle. This is something that we all have to consider. Moving on. Uh, in number four, he reiterates that he is innocent. He did not kill Janelle. In number five, uh, he talks about uh, rules for incoming and outgoing letters that he's limited to... Um, Three pages or less is what he says. So uh, that's this is why this letter he says there. I don't know. I don't know if it's posted. That's just what he's saying. He doesn't give any reason for it. So, but he says he will write more often, answering my past questions. So he wants to continue talking. And then in number six, he talks about his sister and gives me his sister's phone number. I don't think I'm going to call her. And then number seven is, thank you for communicating with me. I appreciate it. And then he reiterates about uh, getting all of the information from the discovery phase of at least one or both trials. So that was letter number three from Steve Pankey.
Now, I want to, I want to, um, you know, maybe this is the point uh, that I need to state this. I realize that a lot of uh, families over the years have um, been really ticked off uh, when reporters have uh, gone to jails and maybe interviewed Ted Bundy or many of these serial killers, for example, people who were proven and, you know, through science. Of course, with Steve Pankey, there's no science that he did anything. But for all of these um, killers that we know, uh, the Green River Killer, BTK, uh, Ted Bundy, pick one. A lot of those families got really ticked off when reporters or other people would go behind bars, interview these people, and come out with books and things like that. And I understand that. And I want you to know, as I told my uh, assistants uh, earlier today when this came up, is that I have no plans for any of that, you know, for any book or anything. This is all part of my education. Uh, really because, as I've stated, and I've stated this for a couple years now, I continue to be on the fence about Steve's guilt. He certainly could have killed Janelle, but certainly I don't believe the prosecution proved that. The jury decided otherwise. They're the only, they're, their opinions are the only ones that matter. But there sure was no least scientific evidence, and um, this is why I'm doing this, for education purposes. I have no plans to write a book or anything like that. We have to be open to the idea. I realize that Janelle's family is not open to the idea that he's innocent. I realize many of you are not open to the idea that he's innocent. Very well, all of you may be correct. But given that the way the trial went, at least the second one, I think that I still have a responsibility as a reporter. Remember, what is the job of a reporter? And I know I'm a podcaster, but in very general terms, I'm a reporter on disappearances. That's what I do. What is a reporter's number one ethical uh, goal? The truth. My job, and I know that gets lost a lot because the media in the United States in all facets sucks. Whether it's sports, politics, entertainment, anything else, media sucks in the United States, all of it. My job as a reporter is to pursue the truth. And if I think that the truth might not be what everybody thinks it is or some people thinks it is, I have to pursue that, especially when I've been a part of this. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a casual observer on this. The fact is my interview with Steve is one of the things that put him behind bars. And I don't have any guilt about that. It's those were Steve's words, not my words, but I've, I have a duty to pursue the truth. And so I'm going to keep talking to Steve. I don't know where this is going to go. I hope that Janelle's family is not ticked off. Maybe they are, but my defense, my defense is still the, the same thing. I'm not interested in Steve. I, I realize a lot of these people who write these books, they want to get into the psychology of the serial killer, get beyond what really made Ted Bundy tick and everything else. I have no nothing. I am not in any way interested in what makes Steve Pankey tick. I'm just trying to figure out if the right guy is behind bars or not. 
That's all that matters to me. Um, and really, when I start hearing about, you know, once again, in the past where some of these um, reporters or authors have become famous because some of these books, well, we really wanted to get, they're just writing a book. You're not really interested in what make the, makes these people tick. And really, that hasn't helped us at all. No, you know, do we really know what Ted Bundy made Ted Bundy tick other than he just wanted to kill women? Do we really know, really, is there any mystery there? What made him be who he was? Does it matter? I don't know. These people just wanted to write books. They just wanted to get on the bestseller list. Let's just admit it. But I can assure all of you, my goal here is to really, really, as best I can, try to figure out if the jury in the second trial got it right or did they get it wrong. That's all it is. Um, Lisa says, I'm pretty sure Steve lied more than one time. Lisa says, so he's saying he lied to you about what his father-in-law didn't say. Strange wording. I know. Uh, You have to realize something about Steve, and this is not to – um, you know, give him a hard time or anything. He's not the greatest with this, the the English language. Uh, there's misspellings in here and some things. So I, I know what you're saying, Lisa, but just keep that in mind. I don't think he did it, but listening to that episode, he was lying and you knew. Update, Mrs. Adelson was arrested at Miami-Dade Airport for some pending charges in Tallahassee as Rado's recent grand jury indictment. Harvey was with her, but he was... But she, Harvey was with her, but he was arrested. Um, Shree, thank you. That tells us a lot. The incident up north. Yeah, yes, Lisa. Wow, I'm shocked. Okay. So that is, um, you know, I realized that in talking to Steve, it's a delicate balance. I don't want to sensationalize any of this. I'm not trying to give him a platform so he can get his words out there or anything else. And that's why I'm being very selective about reading what he's saying. But I think that given that all of you now know that I've even gone through the trouble in contacting his first lawyer, you know, this is more than just, you know, some passing thing for me. You know, I'm I'm trying to narrow the facts down as best as we can tell, you know, and to tell you the truth, I, I don't even have any plan to ask Tony Viorst whether he thinks Steve did it or not. Um, my goal is to talk to Mr. Viorst, uh, the lawyer from the first trial. Of course, that was the hung jury trial, just to see if all of this is the way he remembers it as a lawyer in the first trial to try to figure out, you know, is Steve continuing to just throw BS out there or is there something to this? And once again, being that it was discovery, nobody's ethics uh, will be a problem here. Okay, um, so that was the uh, the letter. Want to go through now uh, this now, and I know some of you what it's this isn't necessarily true crime, but it did catch my attention because this is something that happened in the Tampa area. 
uh, over the last few years, and it was featured on Netflix. I've not seen the series, although I've now read a lot about what happened. But I would let, I'm going to give you my impression, but as I, uh, this is a conversation I had with Cherie over the last couple of days, and she was, uh, I'm not going to read what you said to me, Cherie, uh, but I, I was, uh, I thank Cherie for being very honest uh, about her, you know, me asking her some questions about this, because as a, as a guy who doesn't have any kids, it's hard for me to put my place in this story. And that is this uh, Netflix series called Taking Care of Maya. How many of you watched it? How many of you know about this? This is a situation, I mean, there's so many facts and everything else, and it's a really, really crazy, crazy, crazy story. And it's just not crazy the way Netflix presented. Once again, I'm not seeing an episode, but just reading the news accounts of it, it is something. And what essentially happened is this this, uh, girl, Maya, uh, started having these... um, this kind of pain syndrome, which, as I've read, what it's, you know, I've discovered is very, very rare. And in fact, many times when doctors are presented with a patient with this condition, a lot of doctors think maybe the patient is just making it up, or especially if it's a child, is a parent making it up? And then we get into this uh, Munchausen by proxy syndrome. I don't know if, how many of you have heard of this. But Munchausen by proxy played a huge role in what happened here, in which between some doctors and um, uh, a social worker who was actually working for a private company, they all came to the conclusion that this girl Maya was being abused by her mother. And that all of this was either being made up by Maya or, or something and that the mother had something to do with it. And eventually, Maya was separated from her family, from her mother, her father, and I guess she has at least one sibling, to the point that she didn't see any of them. You know, and they weren't allowed to see her, or, you know, there was like uh, supervised visits or something. All the while, Maya continues to have these conditions But still, a lot of the people in the medical field over at this Tampa hospital, the John Hopkins Hospital here, which I may even know somebody works there. I I, I tend to run in. I know there are at least a couple disc golfers I know who work in hospitals in the Tampa area. I don't know if it's at that one. But uh, between all these medical professionals decided that you know something there was there was abuse going on here, so they separated Maya from her family. And then what eventually happened is that Maya's mother ended up committing suicide and left a note behind. And she said it was because of her being separated from her daughter. And she was afraid that she'd never get to, uh, you know, be with her daughter again, get to hug her daughter or anything else. And all these people thinking all these horrible things about her. Well, this went to trial. This went to a civil trial. And the decision was just made, uh, a, a Tampa jury right here, uh, not, 
it, it wasn't 12 people like you usually have for criminal trials. It was six people. These people awarded Maya and her family $280 million. And uh, like I said, I I didn't see the series, but I have read uh, a lot of the news accounts that happened while this, while this was all going on. And uh, they were even able to, you know, the, the one woman who was the social worker that seems to be, uh, bear the brunt of most people's criticism is this woman who insisted that Maya had been abused. Well, the issue is that this clinic that she works for that is a private clinic actually isn't part of the hospital. Uh, and actually, she doesn't work for like a government uh, office or anything. It's actually a private clinic or something. Has a like a two and a half times higher rate you know, thinking that children are, um, are, you know, suffering abuse than anywhere else. So it gets into, was this woman just seeing what she wanted to see or was Maya actually being abused? And it seems given that the jury awarded $280 million, it seems that the jury sided on on the, the the side that this woman and everybody else they were just seeing what they wanted to see and because of this Maya's mother committed suicide and my perception in, in you know in reading these articles and then looking at the comments section of different places where and once again I'm not going to web sleuths or anything these are actually on the like the Tampa Bay newspaper site or you know, I mean, all bunch of different uh, media, you know, um, have have covered this. You know, it's been going on since I think 2018 or something. Especially since it was a Netflix series. I have to tell you, overwhelmingly, it seems the public is on the side of the family. But I will tell you, and this is why I, uh, you know, once again, I'm not going to say what Shri said, and this is why. Shri, I've gotten to trust Shri. I've known her over five years. Shri is a a mother. And so, you know, I wanted to talk to somebody who has children regarding all of this. So I want to make sure I'm not as a single person with no kids kind of treading in an area where, you know, I shouldn't be. I at least did a little, uh, you know, research on my own. I find this, I find this, this judgment to be, uh, bizarre. Uh, you know, uh, you know, this, this, even though it was a civil trial, really it's a criminal trial, you know, trying to put blame somewhere. And of course that's what we do at unfound looking at these disappearances. Who's to blame is anybody to blame. And so I'm used to looking at a lot of facts, as you know, and really trying to narrow, narrow, narrow down to what actually happened here and why. So I have a lot of experience, at least in that area, although maybe not with medical trials or you know, like this. You know, when I see $280 million, that would lead me to believe that somebody did something on purpose that caused this woman to commit suicide. That, that this was all some big conspiracy 
and that they had it in for this family. They had it in for Maya. They had it in for her mother. And they just totally went way, 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 way outside of their ethics and everything else. That is not what I see here. Now, you should know Maya is fine now. You know, she's, uh, you know, she's on this medication. And the big thing I think was what happened before this all started is that I think what made the medical professionals here at this Tampa hospital suspicious is that before the mother and the, and the father, I guess, uh, actually brought uh, Maya to actually medical professionals here in the United States, they took Maya to Mexico to be put under under a ketamine into a ketamine coma. And the mother said she did this is because she was having problems similar to this at some point in her life. And she did this and it helped her. So she automatically, just about automatically took her daughter to Mexico to do this. Well, it was obviously, of course it didn't work because they came back to the United States. She was fine for a while and then just went back to the same problems. And I think that is really what guided these people thinking what kind of parent, I have nothing against Mexico. They have doctors in Mexico. Uh, and I realize they cure people in Mexico too, but it does seem like an odd choice, especially with ketamine, which I'm, I realize people are going to say, oh, it's the best thing ever. I'm not sure that's real science or not, my opinion. But there was nothing in any of this that caused me to think there was actually medical malpractice on purpose. Maybe there were mistakes. But are you really going to award $280 million because of mistakes? Remember, we're always going to have mistakes in anything because humans make mistakes. The medical field is made up of people. No matter how much we eventually get into robots and AI and everything else, um, mistakes are going to be made because even those things are made by humans. We're all, there's always going to be the mistake factor. And I'm not sure there were uh, – even if I can maybe admit that there were mistakes made here, I'm not really totally sure any mistakes were made here. There was nothing that I read in the accounts of what happened that caused me to think, oh my gosh, that's just so outrageous. They messed up so much. There was nothing in any of that even though I seem to have reacted to the stories much different than other people who read them who were in the comment section saying, oh yeah, absolutely, this this hospital, yeah, that's absolutely correct. So I don't know what I'm missing here. My observation, as I have written in my notes, the way I read the stories, like I said, I've not seen the series and I realize with Netflix, who knows, you know, they're going to play things up for sensationalism and drama. But my observation was that the mother thought she was smarter than the doctors. And she did it. She was, I think the mother was in the medical field or something, but she was not in a position to make these kinds of decisions. But it was clear from the way it was reported, once again, outside of Netflix in a more, what I would say, objective manner, that she was trying to control her daughter's treatment, and this was so far above her head. Do I think that maybe some of the people, the medical people involved, jumped to conclusions? Yeah, 
probably. What also was a factor, though, as is written, once again, in what I would call more objective sources, is that Maya displayed behavior that wasn't consistent with her, with his, her mother's words. That, you know, she was saying that she couldn't move her legs, but what they did was they, they left the room and had a secret camera in there. As soon as they left the room, she'd be moving her legs around. So... It's one of those things where I, I think I'm in the minority on this, and um, although I can see a jury coming to a conclusion that, yes, the hospital messed up, but $280 million is outrageous. Could I see a couple million dollars? Sure. Okay. One mother committed suicide. Some mistakes were made. Woman eventually commits suicide. Okay, horrible. But $280 million. And you realize who's going to pay for that. All of us are going to pay for that. Remember that. Yeah, the insurance company, if this goes through, is going to... Eventually, it's all going to hit our wallets and purses and pocketbooks and, you know, and, and other things. Remember that. So I just have my doubts whether this jury actually got this correct. I, th I find it outrageous. Uh, so what is everybody um, saying? I watched Taking Care of Maya. No idea how I find the time. Lisa says it's so sad. And 100 millions for the lawyers is my guess and disgust me. Yeah, they get a big percentage of that. Uh, hey, fishing guts the live show. Uh, yeah, live. We got you, fishing. Very greedy world. Everything says Jasmine. This will probably change the way hospitals report CPS cases. Yeah, that was a child protection services. Let's hope so. What a mess. They can never get mom back, but I was shocked at the money they got well observed. Well, does they got uh, well deserved. Lisa, I have so many friends and family going to Mexico for treatment because it's so much cheaper there. They can't get the lap band. Uh, um, what is that? Epilepsy? No, it's not how you pronounce it. Um, tooth implant either can't get here. I, I don't know. Uh, I continue to be of the belief that you, you go outside the United States, uh, you're taking your life into your own hands when it comes to that kind of stuff. I realize it's expensive here, but there's a reason it's expensive. And the reason there's a reason, there are reasons it's cheaper elsewhere. Remember that. Remember that. Remember, um, epilepsy is the word, uh, lap band, epilepsy treatment, truth implant, everything. I just, I don't know. Uh, oops, typo. I gotcha. Think that's very, very, uh, very risky behavior. If people are doing that, just don't know. Um, so that was my thought on taking care of Maya. Uh, I, I really just think this is so out of whack. And, um, you know, it, it seems to me that you can't have it both ways. Everybody is, it seems that um, everybody's worried about abusive children. Everybody's worried about sex trafficking. To me, 
this is a, it, being that this is my work regarding disappearances of children in which sex trafficking could be a part of that. To me, it's all overblown, my opinion. But everybody seems so hot on this topic. But then on the other hand, when somebody is saying that a woman, a girl's being abused, then somebody suddenly the public's, no, she wasn't. <laughs> you know, then you wonder why people don't want to go into the medical field. And you wonder why people don't want to go into the, you know, child protection services and everything else. The public says it wants child abusers to go to jail. But then when it seems like a girl is being abused, and that's what a hospital and other people determine, oh, wait a minute, the public goes the exact opposite direction. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not involved in any of it. Uh, but um, if you go to third world countries for all that type of stuff, you're playing with your life, everything says. That's my opinion. I realize it's expensive. I get it. But just remember something when it you know when it comes to healthcare. I'm not here to get into politics, but remember when it comes to healthcare and everything else, leaders of other countries come to the United States to get the important work done. So it makes no sense that American citizens are going to other countries to get their health care. <laughs> Keep that in mind. In fact, if you really want to go back to the 1970s, remember the Shah of Iran. Remember that? Uh, of course, he got overthrown by the Ayatollah. The reason he was in the United States is because he was suffering from cancer, and he came to the United States to get treatment. That still happens to this day, although it's not really, really big time on the record because it makes these leaders look bad. They don't want people to know that, but that's the truth. When it comes to brain surgery and cancer surgery and all these other things, these really big deal type of things – the leaders who can afford it, rich people in other countries, come to the United States to get it done because they know it'll get done right there. So it makes no sense for American citizens to be going to other countries. Zero. If they want to live. All right, one more uh, story. Uh, I'll just get to it. There was this uh, young man. He is the son of a high-powered uh, Hollywood uh, guy. His name is Samuel Haskell, H-A-S-K-E-L-L, -L, 35 years old. It seems that he murdered his Asian uh, wife and her parents uh, did not – he had some ch children with his wife. He did not harm the children. But what sticks out to me is there, there is a video of him disposing of his wife in a trash bin in broad daylight. It looks like it was in the parking lot of a restaurant or something like that, so they had like a – a camera pointing out into the parking lot. On the far side of the parking lot, you can see him get out of the car, this SUV, open up the hatch, bring something huge out, and putting it in this dumpster. That ended up being at least part of his wife who he killed. Now, what gets me about this, we're always taught, you know, of course, this is very relevant for us Um for disappearances, you know, uh, if we think that there was a, uh, a murderer and the killer uh, getting rid of a body, going places. Of course, this shows, first of all, that yes, trash bins are used. And there we go on and on video. But what it also shows is 
we should not anticipate that these people are very secretive about it. This guy, Samuel Haskell, was doing this in broad daylight. This was not at three in the morning. It was still daylight out. And there, like a van pulls in, goes right by him. There are other people in the parking lot, people pulling out, driving right by him while he's putting his dead wife, wife's body in this huge bin. And people just – he had no, no qualms about doing that at all. Wasn't worried about it for a second that other people were driving by. I ask you to remember that. Uh, you know, if you go back and look at some disappearances, rethink that maybe the missing person was deposited in some sort of trash bin or someplace where other people could be, never automatically think, well, this person must have done it at three in the morning when there's nobody around. This, uh, this, these murders certainly prove that it can be done anytime if a killer wants to do it. If it's convenient for the killer, the time of day fits into his schedule, that's what he'll do. Um, uh, but I got to tell you, it is creepy watching somebody. You once you watch the video and you know what this guy's doing, just in front of everybody, and nobody realizes what he's doing. Uh, Mary says you're right, but certain things just seem cheaper elsewhere. It's probably done a cheaper way as well. Both true in some cases. Hey, uh, over the I realize, for example, you could go to some other country to get dental work done. For, might be cheaper. But how many times do you want to pay for it? You know, it's no different than, than anything else. You could pay for it once and it be fixed or pay for it cheaper three times and, you know, and the same tooth keeps falling out, same fillings keep falling out and things. You get when it comes to a lot of health stuff, you get what you pay for. Keep that in mind. I know it sucks. I, I as I've told everybody, I've been very open about this. Over the last two years, I've spent $13,000 on my teeth. But here's what I think I know. Probably won't have to, as long as I take care of my teeth, I probably won't have to have any dental work done the rest of my life if I live to be 90. Whereas if I went to Canada or Mexico or some other country, pick one. I'm not trying to point anyone out other. Can you really guarantee that? Have you seen the teeth of, have you seen the British people's teeth? Have you seen Fre the, the average French person's teeth? Have you seen the average Mexican's teeth? Compare that to American teeth. Do you want American teeth or do you want Mexican teeth? Think about it. You're right. I wouldn't do it so either. I'm not that risky. Okay. All right. Let's get to this Friday. Um, I'm going to tell you – I'm going to start this out by – just telling you the title of the episode either already. I already have it. It's called Vegas Maybe. And yes, this is a turn on the phrase Vegas Baby. The reason it's called Vegas Maybe is because for the last 41 years, the accepted story has been that Ashley Higgins went to Las Vegas from California with a friend. And this friend, a female friend, came back to California, and Ashley did not. And her name is Ashley Higgins. You can look it up. She is on the Charlie Project. She is on NamUs. And you will see that the, the stories on both are that she went to Vegas, never came back. 
Whereas I think, and I'm, I, you know, I don't like to push you, uh, you, the audience, in any particular direction. I think that in this, uh, the coverage of this disappearance, I think we're going, I think we're going to present information that shows that that's probably not what happened. Now you should know. I actually got to speak to this friend. Her name is Melissa, and I will tell you what she told me during the episode. But the actual guest for this episode is Ashley's brother, Andrew. He did a fantastic interview. He's five years older than Ashley. He was there when all of this happened in 1982. And I think in me talking to him, that even I ha- he I have him believing that probably the most popular well-known story about Ashley going to Vegas and not coming back is probably not what happened. And I want to state for the record, though, even though I spoke to Melissa, uh, I do not believe that she had anything to do with Ashley's disappearance. And I'm going to state that in the episode, too. And I will get into that. I'm probably going to be a little more, um, do a little more analysis here than I usually do, stuff that I usually reserve for the Patreon blog. I'm probably going to include it in this episode because I really, really want all of you to understand my reasoning. So, um, yeah, Mary, you did catch this. Have you ever watched Botch? They are fixing a lot of foreign surgeries. Never watched that show. Really not into that type of stuff. I may ex get worked on a dental school. He didn't work, and I did. Yes, that's a good choice. Valerie's leaving. Um, yeah, everything from Beverly Hills. Um, but this Friday, Ashley Higgins. Going to be, uh, like I said, going to do a little more analysis. Kind of... Um, explain my reasoning more than I ever do in a regular episode. The episode is called Vegas. Maybe Ashley is actually from Costa Mesa, California. Her disappearance allegedly happened on November 6th of 1982 and her brother, Andrew Higgins is the guest. I think this is going to remind you a lot of the disappearance of Ashley Kohler, coincidentally, who also went missing from California. So there you go. That is the live show for tonight. I think it was spectacular. Is everybody giving this a thumbs up? You better have. And uh, before you go, please do. And you will all hear me on Friday. Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. I don't know what was going on early on with this people bringing up politics and stuff at the beginning. I have no idea that 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 is a first. But that's all I got. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Um, thank you for all the support. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Or hit the join button below. And Charlie, say hi to the kids for me. Good night. Good night.